everyone. Very glad to see so many of you here on this weekday as the world looks at it. But we're here for a very important occasion, as you know, and we're very grateful to have so many of you here today, 276 altogether. And as Mr. McNair said, quite a number of our ministers and some of their children are scattered around the United States already. My son Jim and his family are in South Africa. Peter Nathan and his wife are over in Great Britain. And others have gone elsewhere around the world and around the United States to keep this Feast of Trumpets and some of them, of course, to preach to God's people. I want to thank Mr. Yancey Tabor for the very fine offertory. He's here not just as a regular student, but a special ministerial trainee. He's had experience out there. We're very grateful to have him here and for his participation in his service. I certainly want to thank Mr. Dylan King. And, of course, Mr. McCullough and the others for the special music. We had a trumpet solo, which is okay. It's a feast of trumpets, and this is a very special time. Brethren, I hope all of you can understand this, but we will soon be entering the most awe-striking period in human history. We really will be. Many of you younger people... And most of you, painful, frankly, because most of you are under 70 years of age. You have never lived through a time of world war, of famine, of disease epidemics, of terrible things happening. I lived through a little bit of it, and I've told you about it before, but I can never remember, never forget, I should say, as an 11-year-old boy being herded into the auditorium of the West Central Grade School in Joplin, Missouri, and they had a big speaker set up on the stage. And we were hearing President Roosevelt say yesterday, December the 7th, 1941, a day which will live in infamy. The forces of the Empire of Japan attacked our naval forces in the Pacific. I regret to tell you that very many American lives were lost. And they were. And our little grade school changed. Our whole later high school changed during the war. We had Bill Steinbeck, our, our star halfback, runner, the greatest star of the team on their football team. And we were very close. We all knew him because he was very outgoing and very outstanding as an athlete. He went off to war. His body was shipped back pretty soon. Seemed like after just three to six months overseas, he was killed. And we had a memorial service. And they had trumpets even there played, as you might know it as funeral service and memorial service in the high school. And everyone was crying because we knew Bill had been killed. He was gone. My friends Robin Jones over in Great Britain and Mr. James Wells is with us in the Living Church of God and an Elder in, in Kansas City now, but who grew up in London along with Robin Jones. Their lives were changed when that Second World War began. And both of them spent time down underground. I've been in the British subway or underground as they call it the tube over and over again. You go down and then you throw down and you go down about three different rows sometimes to get to the bottom to where the actual subway is. 
Hundreds of thousands of people have hidden themselves in the subway tracks of London during the wartime period. And they could feel the ground shaking above them. Robin got sent up near Manchester and away from his parents. He only saw his parents once in about three years. He was sent up there to a farm family near Manchester. They sent thousands and thousands of little children away from their homes in Great Britain when the London Blitz began. Their lives were changed. All of our lives were changed during that period of time. We're going to be entering a time like that, but frankly a time much, much worse than that. And a lot of you young kids have never experienced it. It's not something on TV. It's not something artificial that Hollywood is going to create. It's going to be, frankly, much, much worse than anything Hollywood has come up with. Yet Satan the devil, in one sense, is trying to front run. Well, I call it front running. What God has done, he's put out these day after tomorrow movies, these other movies about terrible tragedies. So it's going to try to make the terrible things God does and Satan does seem like it's already happened. But no, it has not happened. It's going to be very real when this building starts to shake and the ground around you start to shake and people start to yell and cry and scream. Many will be starving. Many will be struck with disease epidemics. They're going to say, why, why, what's wrong? Well, because they have turned away from God. That's what's wrong. We have a whole society under the sway of Hollywood and Satan the devil, and they're going away from God. Millions of our young people are just living together without being married. And fornication, we've forgotten the word fornication. Men and women having sex apart from marriage is fornication. Fornicators will not be in God's kingdom. God's going to strike them. For that whole attitude, they're going to have to learn one thing, brethren, and I hope all of us can think of it as we approach this day. The fear of God, the awe of God, and as I said, this is going to be the most awe-striking period of human history. It's going to change the lives of all of you young people, you kids, and you young people compared to me who are back in your 40s and 50s. Most of you have never experienced anything like that. You don't know what it's like to live in that kind of condition. You know what it is like to be under, underground and then feel the land up above you shake and vaguely hear the bombs going off and people yelling above and screaming once in a while, especially when you go out there living on rations and not having the normal amount of food that you had before and everyone scared knowing what's happening next. It's going to happen. Because man has turned away from God and turned to fornication, to adultery, and now to perversion. Every manner of perversion, it seems like Satan jumped right on the bandwagon. And pretty soon men are not men. Like I just decide to be a woman, decide to enter the women's restroom. Well, that's just the beginning of it. They're going to allow them to have women, men and women showers together. You can't keep these young sex perverts out of showers with your daughters and granddaughters. That's the plan the progressives in our society want to have. They're going to try to ram it down our throats. We're going to have a hard time resisting that, brethren. They're going to come after us. They'll come after me if I'm still alive. They're going to come after Mr. Weston and Mr. Ames and Dr. Vanille and all of our leaders for trying to teach God's people that is wrong. That is sin. Don't do it. Be willing to stand up for the real God, the God of the Bible, the God that's going to intervene and shake this world as it has never, never, ever been shaken before. These people say, we're going to do our thing and you're not going to stop us. No, we're not going to stop them. 
but El Shaddai, God Almighty, is going to stop them. He will stop them dead in their tracks, and he'll scare the fire out of them, and they will finally be willing to repent. But it's going to take a long time, a whole series of events, as you know, if you read through the chapters in Revelation about the Feast of Trumpets. So this world needs to be shaken, and God will shake us, and Satan's alternative universe will be finally shaken and finally destroyed. It will not be here and will be replaced by tomorrow's world, the coming reign of Jesus Christ, which, of course, is pictured by the festival after this one and two, two festivals later, the Feast of Tabernacles. So we're not picturing that today, but I want to picture what's happening now. Turn with me, brethren, back to Matthew 24, and here we begin to see the unfolding picture of God's plan. And I won't spend much time on this because most of you should be very familiar with this. And I know our young people say, no, I'm not familiar when some ministers say that. A lot of our younger ministers say to the, say, you know this before. Our young people have told me, say, please don't say that. We have not heard it before. In many cases, so all of us ministers have got to realize that. But most of you have heard this one. Matthew 24, verse 3. The disciples came to Jesus privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age, not the end of the world. The earth is not going to blow up, but this age, this society is going to come to a total end. And Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you. And he showed how there are going to be many deceivers coming along in his name, not their own name, but the name of Jesus Christ. They'll be professing Christian ministers, Sunday school teachers, professing Christ, but they teach a false gospel. They talk about a false Christ, a false God. It's false, 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 and they're used by Satan the devil to deceive people. And we need to realize that's going to get worse and worse as time goes on, finally culminating in a great false prophet performing miracles, breaking even fire down from heaven and teaching people a different way of life. We've got to understand that. Study this book. Resist that. And then the next thing to happen is wars and rumors of wars and nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And that word nation in verse 7 is ethnos, different, different groups of people, not just races, but even ethnic groups within the races are going to turn on each other. We're going to have race war, political war, food wars, every other kind of terrible thing is going to happen. We are called out. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not to be part of this world and all this fighting. But God says these things are going to happen, finally culminating in World War III or finally the Battle of Armageddon. And he says, then there will be pestilence, famines, I should say next, terrible lack of food. People will be starving. And that's not going to be 20 or 50 years from now. I feel it will be within the next 10 or 15 years. But you'll have to wait and see if I'm right or not. And I would like to say this so that you do understand. Every time in the history of God's work, including Mr. Armstrong and Ted and Dr. Hay and all of us, every time we've tried to set an exact date, we have been wrong. So don't bank on anybody's dates. I know there may be some of our younger ministers sort of set dates once in a while. Don't set an exact date. We've been wrong every time. But we do know the times of the end. God tells us these things are going to happen and to watch these signs. 
So these signs certainly do seem to be speeding up. And I feel that Christ will be on this earth sometime within the next 12 to 20 years, not 30 or 50 years from now. But there will be famines. Pestilence means disease epidemics. We read papers in the New York Times, the local paper, the Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, other papers and magazines I read. It talks about growing disease epidemics. We're getting superbugs. We had an article on that, the lead article in the Tomorrow's World magazine. We're developing drug-resistant bugs where people will not be able to be healed anymore by the normal drugs. The scientists will be overwhelmed. The hospitals will be overwhelmed. They can't. They'll be forced to say, is there a God healer? Yes, there is. God heals. They'll have to get their mind on that. They will learn to have to put their faith in a real God or they will not be healed by man. Then there will be earthquakes. Luke's account, Luke 21 says, great earthquakes, massive earthquakes, the greatest earthquakes in human history are going to shake people. People do need to be shaken, and they're going to be shaken by God, not because God is mean. He wants to wake them up. They're not willing to change. You can argue with them. They want to argue, argue, argue. They try to justify all this perversion. All this transvestite kind of stuff, it's crazy. Those of us who've lived longer know it's crazy. It makes no sense, but people are buying into it. They're going to think we're crazy. They'll argue. They'll put us down. They'll try to put us in jail. They don't care. They don't get it. Satan has got hold of their mind, and God is going to have to literally shake them to their senses to wake it up. So he will wake them up finally in that way with earthquakes. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So then they're going to deliver God's true people up to tribulation. We're going to be delivered to persecution. And then it says down in uh, verse uh, 21, For then there will be great tribulation, the greatest tribulation in human history, as you know, the great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. There never has been and never will be a time of turmoil like the one coming on us in the next 10 or 15 or 20 years at the most, I feel. Certainly within the next 40 or 60 years, but let's say probably within the next 12 to 20 years. And unless those days of that coming tribulation are shortened, no flesh would be saved. We're going to have germ warfare. We're going to have new types of terrible missiles, rockets, atomic and hydrogen bombs, delivery systems, everything the human mind can invent to destroy humanity. And God would allow humanity to destroy itself utterly, cosmicide, unless he intervened. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So then he shows at verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear. There's going to be a literal massive light in heaven. There'll be trumpets thundering in great sounds of real heavenly trumpets blaring all over the earth as Christ comes back in glory and power and majesty, the angels of heaven. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, massive glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. As trumpets are very familiar on this day, very prominent, a trumpet. And they will gather together the elect from the four winds from the end of the earth. So it shows it's going to be a time when most people are not expecting it. It's going to sneak up on mankind because they won't want it. They won't know anything about it. They won't expect it. 
but we do need to think about it. Jesus tells us to watch and to pray and to get ready for these times. Now, brethren, let's go back and review this period of time that God describes as it is in His holy days. Turn with me back to Leviticus 26. And I'm sorry, but Leviticus 26 is very prominent, prophetic. Verse 20, chapter 23 is what I want. Leviticus 23. This is the one place, even though it's in the book of instruction to the Levites, it's the one place where all seven of God's holy days are mentioned. That's the reason we often turn here. And I'll just skim it. But some of you are not familiar with it, and those of us who do need to review it. He says here, the ever-living one spoke to Moses, chapter 23 of Leviticus, verse 2, speak to Israel, the feast of the eternal, not the feast of the Jews, the feast of the ever-living one, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts, not Jewish feasts, God's feasts. Six days shall work be done, for the seventh is the Sabbath of solemn rest a holy convocation, the weekly Sabbath. Then he describes, verse 4, the feast of the eternal holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their seasons, as it is in the King James. That's a better translation. In the various seasons of the year. First is Passover, the 14th day of the first month, we picture the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the first thing in God's plan. Then after that, on the 15th day of the same month, verse 6, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Putting leaven out of your house pictures, putting sin out of your lives. You have to grow in grace and in knowledge. And then the third feast is described, of course, as he tells you then, in verses 10 on to about 21, uh, how to count the feast of Pentecost. It's, count, Pentecost literally means 50th, or count 50. So you count 50, and that then is the day they offer the first of the first fruits, which were pictured by us, the wave sheaf offering to God. And you're then, you're, that is notice in verse 21, you shall proclaim on that same day that it is a holy convocation. You shall do no more customary work. It shall be a statute. We'll see later that God's statutes will soon be kept by the whole world. They weren't to be done away. It's a statute forever. So they're to keep this time. The Feast of Pentecost pictures the fact that God's true people are just the first fruits. God is not trying to save the whole world now. He's just calling out a few of us now. And we can be very grateful to understand it. We're here ahead of time. We are the pioneers. And even though we're few in number, we can be grateful we've had the opportunity. We can prepare to be those kings and priests in God's kingdom that the millennium pictures and help rule these other people and help them, encourage them, comfort them when they come back crying and shaking from the concentration camps they're going into. We're the first fruits. Then the next thing is mentioned in verse 24. Speak to Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, that's right now, today, or on the first day of God's seventh month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets. All the way through the Bible, as you know, if you look it up, trumpets are used as a warning, often a alarm of war. Great trouble is coming. 
They're trying to warn Israel, get ready, war is coming. The other armies are coming through the valley and they'll soon be over the hill and we'll soon see them. Wake up. Alarm of war. Trumpets. This alarm of war is going to come on you. There wasn't any warning to me. There wasn't any warning to my family or friends or the United States or Britain. All of a sudden, the Japanese planes came over and bombed Pearl Harbor. And it changed our lives. These things are going to hit the average person in the world in a way they do not understand. But this Feast of Trumpets tells us that these things are going to happen and to be ready. Then on the 10th day of the 7th month, soon after the alarm of war, these terrible times of war, then God is going to bring uh, banish Satan away, put him away from the world. Then there will finally begin to be peace, a day of but one man when Satan is banished from the world and we will afflict our souls, showing how we have to pray and fast to overcome Satan the devil. A day of atonement or one man when man is finally made at one with God when Satan is put away. And then it shows here in verse 34, on the 15th day of the seventh month, this is the seventh month. Seven is God's month of completion or fulfillment. And so the final four holy days all take place during this seventh month, the final events of human history, the Feast of Tabernacles, seven days to the eternal. So the Feast of Ingathering, the great hall fall harvest is souls is gathered in, the great harvest when God saves the whole world during the millennium. And so it's called the Feast of Ingathering in a number of places, and the Feast of Tabernacles, dwelling in booths, temporary dwelling places, looking forward to the kingdom of God. And they're to offer an offering. And then it says in verse 36 in the middle, On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall offer an offering made by fire. It is a sacred assembly. So these are the feasts of the eternal, which you shall proclaim in their, humble, in their convocations, it says. So God tells us to keep these feasts. This final one mentioned here in chapter 36, a solemn day. He doesn't explain what that is very much. Most of the world does not understand. But when you put all the scriptures together, as we know, that pictures that magnificent part of God's plan. Right after the millennium, when every human being who's ever, di ever lived and died who was not called did not understand. And that's most people. That's my parents and grandparents and most of your great-grandparents and parents didn't know they didn't understand. Many millions and hundreds of millions of people in China and India and other parts of the world didn't even hear the name of Christ. How could they accept Christ? They never heard of him. Didn't know that God is going to give them a chance. What a tremendous, magnificent time when they come up and are given a chance. And you and I, if we try to get ready for the trumpets, get ready for the kingdom, we can be there to help those people. We want to help them. We want to give to them. We want to have compassion on them. We want to be able to teach them the way of God, the way of peace. And we need to be learning that way now. So we keep these festivals reminding ourselves of this tremendous plan, the great plan of God revealed by His holy days. Certainly the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles will be kept by the whole world in a few years Turn to Zechariah 14. Mr. Soselka referenced that the other day in his sermon, but I want to turn to it again because it is a very important thing that we do need to understand. Zechariah uh, 14. Turn there with me if you would. Zechariah 14, verse 1. 
Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. All the nations. A tremendous influx of armies from all around the world. The city will be taken. Half the city going to captivity. The remnant shall not be cut off from the city. So half are going into captivity. It's a split city. It's already a split city. God is already preparing the way. But the split living there between the Jews and the Arabs even now. Then, verse 3, the ever-living one will go and fight. The Lord of the Old Testament, who is Jesus Christ, the Lord God of the armies of Israel. He's going to fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Christ is coming back to this earth. A number of you stood on the Mount of Olives. I have too. Right on this earth, he'll be here. It says in verse 9, The eternal shall be king over all the earth in that day. And the Lord is here and his name is one. Then and down in verse 16, verse 16, brethren, Zechariah 14:16, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go from year to year to worship the king of the Lord of hosts and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. It doesn't say go up and watch the Jews keep it. It says they shall keep the feast. And it shall be of whoever the families of the earth, any nation, any people, do not come up to keep it. On them there shall be no rain. Finally, there will be a plague so that all nations will learn to come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The whole world, every human being, is soon going to learn to keep these feasts that we're keeping right now this autumn. So we're not alone. We're very few, but we're going to be the main ones. We're the forerunners. We're the pioneers keeping these feasts of Almighty God, and we need to realize that. Now turn, if you would, to Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 36, brethren. Turn to Ezekiel 36. Here we find a scripture where God is talking about regathering our people, the American and British Commonwealth descended peoples. Verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, that's not the Jews, the house of Israel, the ten nations that went into slavery. He says, I don't do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my name's sake. He's going to bring us back finally from captivity. For verse 24 I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries that bring you into your own land. Our people will have gone to slavery. Slavery. They'll be there. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my what? Statutes. What are the statutes? You go back and look them up in Deuteronomy 12 through 28 and many other places in the Old Testament. You'll see the statutes specifically include the holy days. They include the holy days of God. They include tithing. They include keeping the holy days and all those things. We will be keeping God's statutes. God's going to make everyone keep his statutes when Christ comes back as king of kings. No, they were not done away with. They were not nailed to the cross. You will walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and I will be your God and deliver you from your, your 
uncleanness and he will take away famine and multiply us and you will never again bear the reproach of the famine among the nations. Then you will remember, verse 31, your own evil ways and your deeds, all of our fornication, our homosexuality, our foulness, our cursing and damning God, our living together, are getting drunk and getting to drugs, all kinds of drugs. There are people going around all drugged up all the time, turning away from God, worshiping everything but the Creator of God. You will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Finally, we're going to wake up and be shaken as our people have never been shaken before. So God wants us to be shaken. I know one time, as I've told you, I was a really rebellious little boy. I've been perfect since, as you all know. <laughs> but no, I I was a very bad little boy a few times, or served many times, growing up very energetic as I am now, very pushy back then. Got on my dad's nerve. One time I literally kicked him right in the shin until the blood came down. And I remember my dad, he was kind of light-haired and light-skinned and big light blue eyes like my, like my sister, Mrs. Ames. But he was very thick and strong through the chest and shoulders. He could send himself three times with his right arm from a dead hang. Very strong. He looked down, and those right eyes bulged out at me, and I knew big trouble was coming. I got smart like and kicked him right in the shins till the blood came down. He said, let's go down to the basement. Oh, he took me down to the basement, and he gave me a whipping such as I'd never had before. And it did shake me. And frankly, it was very good for a few days. <laughs> but it did wake me up, and I've never forgotten it. It did help me begin to change. And my dad was not mean. I needed it, and he gave it to me. God rebukes and chases every son he loves. And God wants us to chase in our children too, but in the right way. And my God had to chase in me. God's going to have to chase in our people because he loves us. We're going to have to be shaken to wake up. And so the trumpets are going to sound and these things are going to happen to shake our people because our whole nation is beginning to be smart aleck. We think we're smarter than God and God's ways seem dumb and stupid and antiquated. We're not progressive if we don't go along with all this stuff. And God hates that. We're trying to tell men they're not men and women they're not women get people all mixed up about who they are, where they are, their whole purpose in life. And God says, stop it. And we won't stop it. But God is going to stop it. Why do we hate God? Many scriptures, God says back in the book of John, men love darkness. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Their deeds are, they want to go their own way. And one key scripture is back in the book of Romans. Many scriptures like that one in John, I won't turn to all of them, but turn with, if you would, to this particular one in Romans, if you would. And this is Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And here in Romans chapter 8, God says, verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death. To be physically minded, cut off of God, going your own way, that leads to death. And course, finally eternal death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Because, here's the answer, the carnal mind, not some unusually evil mind, just a normal fleshly mind of man. 
the carnal mind is enmity against God. It automatically resents a real God who will tell it what to do. Normal human beings, you know that, your worldly relatives, your neighbors down the street, they don't want to hear about a God who makes them do something. Well, we, here's what we think. Here's my opinion. Let's vote on it. Let's argue about it. No, the carnal mind is not willing to submit to God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Why? Because it is not subject to the law of God. It's not willing to surrender and say, God has given a law. I will keep God's Sabbath. I will keep God's holy days. I will be faithful to my wife no matter what. I will be faithful to my husband no matter what. I will walk in God's ways in every facet of my life and keep the commandments. I'll meditate on the law of God like King David did. Oh, how love I thy law is my meditation. We don't want that kind of God, but they're going to get that kind of God. They're going to learn to respect it. The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be so then those who are in the flesh who have that carnal mind cannot please God. Therefore, they're going to have to have trumpets. They're going to have to have this terrible time to shake them to their senses in love, to help wake them up before it is too late so that they will be willing to submit to that kind of a God and obey Him. Let's turn back now to the book of Revelation, brethren. Turn with me, if you would, at this point to the book of Revelation. And here, as you know, he talks about the revelation of Jesus Christ in the first few verses, not the revelation of John, but the revelation of God, which Christ showed his servants of these things that were going to have to be. So this is talking not about the revelation of, of man, but what is going to happen. And he describes here the glory of God in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 and in chapter 5 and verse 8. It talks about how the 24 elders came before God and praised and they talked about the prayers of the saints and the saints were pictured singing a new song in verse 9, Revelation 5, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Christ bought us back. We were gone redeem is like you hocked your watch and you've got to get it back again our lives were gone and christ brought us back by dying for us in his shed blood you redeemed us to god by your blood out of every tribe and people tongue and nation and have made us when god makes us he says it in advance he and his has planned his purpose that this will be and nothing can stop it if you're willing to be his servant you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then he looked, and behold, many angels around the heavenly throne, and, and the, he saw the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. How many angels around the throne of God? Over 100 million. What's 10,000 times 10,000? Multiply it out. This is over 100 million angels just around the throne of God. God has magnificent glory. The God you serve and I serve, never forget that. He will never leave you nor forsake you. As we've said, you're going to have to have faith and courage in these years ahead. When these, God allows great tribulation and persecution to come on us, and then the trumpet plagues are poured out, we're going to have to know that God is there and believe God. 
love God, serve God, know He's there. He will take care of us. So then it was a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power, riches and wisdom, strength and honor, and every creature on earth shown here. And I heard them saying, blessing and honor and glory to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. They saw this magnificent God. This magnificent God then is pictured out, pouring out punishment. He is God. He is great. But in spite of that, he has to punish. He loves his children. Every son of God is, is, is punished. If you're not, a, not punished, God says, if you're not chastened, then you're not a son. Because God rebukes and chases every son he loves. Read it in, in Hebrews chapter 12. And so then he begins to see these things in verse 6, chapter 6 of Revelation. I saw when the lamp opened one of the seals. Here are seven seals pictured. And the living creature said, come and see. Then a white horse. And again he pictures the various uh, seals being opened. And most of you know... But again, I shouldn't assume that. Then of you young people, look it up in our booklet on the key to Revelation. This is each one picture of what Christ said. Christ said, first, what? Remember, the first thing he said was wars and rumors of wars. So the first thing is a, 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 a no, the first thing is false prophets. A white horse coming with a crown and karma coming. So you had a false prophets. Then the next horse, fiery red, verse chapter 4. And he was to take peace from the earth. So then there's war and rumors of wars. Then the next thing, of course, was to be what? Famine. So then it pictures a, a, uh, a horse. Come and see a, a pale horse or black horse. And he who sat on him had his pair of scales in his hand. Terrible drought and famine. People starving to death and measuring out small measures of food because the world is starving. Verse 7, a fourth seal is opened. And there is a pale horse, a sickly-looking horse, because then you have disease epidemics. The next thing Jesus mentioned there, which I just read you, I just read you in Matthew 24, that's the next thing. Disease epidemics, plagues. So death and Hades of the grave followed him, and power was given unto them over what? Over this first horse, the false prophets, false ministers cut people off from God, because they're cut off from God, they get into wars. Then they're going to get into lack of food as God punished them. Going to get into disease epidemics. And finally, one-fourth of the earth is going to be killed because of these things. Power was given to them over to kill with the hunger. Uh, uh, one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, wars, hunger, and death. And the beasts of the earth, wild animals. God's going to allow that. That's a lot of folks. A lot of people, we don't know the exact number that will be by the time this takes place, but let's just use, I don't think we'll be up this big yet, but let's say we're about 7.3 billion. What if we're 8 billion? Just soon we get that much. I think it'll be less, but just to make it easy to figure, one-fourth would be 2 billion human beings out of 8 billion. Wow. Two billion human beings are going to be destroyed by these things. You talk about troubles. It's going to really hurt. It's going to hurt awful the people that are still living at that time. And so when he opened the fifth seal, 
He seals those who are still being persecuted, the true saints of God, and the other saints who died crying out in verse 7, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge the blood of those who dwell on the earth? And white robe was given to them, and was told that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants, their brethren, who would be killed as they were, would be completed. So then you have terrible tribulation on God's people. Then chapter, verse, uh, verse 12 here, the sixth seal is open, and behold, a great earthquake. One of the greatest earthquakes hits the earth, and the sun became black as cloth of hair, and the moon like blood, and the stars of heaven are shaken. The heavenly signs talked about in Matthew and in Luke 21. And then the sky recedes, and every mountain and island moved out of its place. Again, brethren, think about it. The time is coming within the lifetimes of many of you who are much younger than me. If you live on another 15 to 25 years or less, every mountain and every island on this earth is going to be shaken, moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth are going to cry out and hide themselves to try to hide from God. And they said that the mountains fall on us. For the wrath of the Lamb has come. The great day of His wrath has come. And who is able to stand? So then you have, you pictured here, the six seals. And then you have, frankly, the seventh seal is open. So in chapter 7, it describes more things about the four winds of the earth protecting those that are from these things that are still to come from the trumpet plagues and how they're to be protected from the trumpet plagues. And then it finally shows in chapter 8, the seventh seal is opened. When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about half an hour. And I saw the seventh angels, the seven angels who had were given the seven trumpets. So the seventh seal includes the seven trumpets. That's what this day pictures, this coming time of God's wrath. Now we're past the tribulation. Now we're come to the direct time of God's wrath, the seven trumpets. And another angel came, and he was given incense, like the prayers of the saints going up to God. And God begins to throw fire down on the earth. Chapter 7, verse 6. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, and mingled with blood were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass. Try to picture that in your mind so you can grasp. One third of all these beautiful trees are suddenly burned up, and all, all the green grass. Charlotte is a beautiful city. No green grass suddenly at that time. It's going to be very humbling. To the people who are left, he said, God, leave me alone. I'm not going to believe in that kind of thing. They will learn that God is real. They'd better do what he says. And so then the, all the green grass is burned up. Then verse 8, the second angel sounds, and something like a great mountain burning with fire is thrown to the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. One-third of the entire ocean out here becomes like blood. And so the ships can't sail. The, the sea creatures are dead. All kinds of things are going to happen that are horrible. Then verse 10, the third angel sounded. A great star fell from heaven, and a third fell on the waters of the springs. So then all the springs up, not in the ocean, but all the rivers and springs up here. And people are going to be dying because there's no water to drink. And then verse 12, the fourth angel sounded, 
and the third part of the sun and moon and stars were struck, and then there was great darkness over the earth. Suddenly, the whole world is shaken. The seas and springs and rivers are turned to blood. Then suddenly, darkness comes over the earth. Very humble, very humbling to people to wake them up. And then God says, an angel crying out in verse 13, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. God is going to shake you until you're willing to humble yourselves. You're willing to be, yes, sir, we will obey. So then in first chapter 9, the fifth angel sounded, the fifth trumpet, and a star fell from heaven, and him was given to the key to the bottomless pit. And then there came out all these unusual creatures that he could only describe them as locusts, terrible enemies of weapons of war probably invented by the beast power, and they're going to be destroying human beings. And in those days, verse 6, men will seek death and they will find none. Often men will be poisoned and they will be paralyzed, gassed. Things will happen to them, but they can't die. And the shape of the locusts will be like horses prepared for battle. And their power was in their tails. Some of these weapons of war, some of these special new helicopters and weapons of war will have unusual power all over their creek, all over their bodies. And they had a king of, over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, who's their leader, Satan the devil. And a number of places through here, if you read about it, mention the word demons. Brethren, we're going to have demons swarming on us during these next 10 or 20 years beyond what we've ever seen. Please be alert to that. I've told you about that, giving you whole sermons on how to spot demons, how to resist the devil. Just in yesterday's Wall Street Journal, they had an article describing in detail how the demons were grabbing people uh, in this certain area and how they were down in Venezuela, I think it is, Thousands of them are starving. They don't have enough food. They don't they taken care of. They can't get the drugs. You see, if God allows men to anesthetize these people with drugs, then Satan works through the mind. If the mind is blanked out by drugs, then the demon can't do anything. They're just kept in a, in, in a storage, so to speak. They're kept in storage. But once in America... And Canada and Britain and Australia, these other nations that are having all these demons locked up in, in, in hospitals, in mental hospitals, about one-third of the people are there for mental disease. Then the demons have got them. And the demons are going to come out and roam around far more than they have before. If you read that article, I may put part of that in an article. It told us how these people have had these strange voices telling them, kill your brother, do this, do that describing demons in these people that have been chained, been kept in mental hospitals, and suddenly they can't get the drugs that have kept their minds numbed, kept their minds anesthetized. When those drugs are taken away, then the demon again works through that human mind and takes them over. Demon powers are going to be manifest much more in the next few years. Understand it. Resist it. You're living into a different time, as I said, we're going to be living into the most awe-striking period in the history of humanity over the next 10 or 20 years. And it may start within the next few years in a big way. It hasn't started big yet. But within the next few years, some of these things are going to come right out more than they ever have before 
as we begin to be more wretched and rotten and carnal and say, well, we're going to force this homosexual stuff. We're going to force this transvestite stuff down people's minds and in their lights. We're going to, God says, no, he's going to stop it. And he's going to let these things come upon our society. And so the devil is put out. And then it says in, in chapter 9, they're going to have these unusual weapons of war and their power is given to men, hurt men five months, verse 10. They had the devil as their leader. One woe is past, two more. The, the last three woes are the last three of the trumpet plagues. Then the sixth angel sounded. So the next of the last trumpet is this. Release the four angels who are bound in the river Euphrates. So God has so far been keeping these armies of, the, of China and India, Pakistan, these people over there from coming across and bringing about the ultimate battle when men would utterly fight and destroy one another. So that is released. And then this, this whole thing is going to be released. The four angels are released to kill a third of mankind. Wow. If before we had one-fourth of mankind bring us down to six billion people from eight billion, then one-third of six billion people is another two billion people. Two more billion human beings that at that point would be destroyed. I think it's hard to understand that, but you have to try to grasp it, meditate on it, wrap your mind around it. First one-fourth of eight billion, I'm just talking general here, may not be quite that many. Then you get down to about six billion, and one-third of that would be two billion more. Almost four billion with a B human beings destroyed by these things that are going to come. I'll tell you, God is going to shake us as we have never been shaken to wake people up. And God is going to stop this army as they come on across. But they're going to kill mankind. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed with the fire, smoke, and brimstone, which comes out of the mouths of these of these weapons that these people have. And verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, do people finally repent? Wow, they're hard-headed. A lot of you have hard-headed friends and relatives. None of you are hard-headed, right? We hope. <laughs> Don't be hard-headed. Let your heart be soft in the sense you're willing to serve God. Prove it. But if you can see that this book says it, say, yes, sir, God, I will do what you say. I will be willing to do what you say. The rest of mankind were not, who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works. They still didn't repent after all this because they've been so deceived that they should not worship demons. Here is one of those places. You remember Revelation chapter 12. So this whole system, modern Babylon, is filled with demons, filled with evil spirits. And here it is again. Demons are in charge of this system. So demons are not in, are heavily involved, and people have to be aware, you have to be aware of demons that get in the way of your repentance. And they did not repent of their murders, killing and hurting one another, their sorceries, their sorceries turning away from God, their sexual immorality, 
constantly involved in fornication, in lust, pornography, foul ways of life, and even homosexuality and bestiality, everything by that time. It's horrible the things human beings are beginning to get into. God has said enough by this time. He's going to bring human beings down. Then a mighty angel comes down, and then you have, he talks about having the little book and the seven thunders. And finally in chapter 11, it describes here, you know, Revelation 11, the first few verses talk about the fact that there is a 42-month period, three and one-half years, the same three and a half years of the Great Tribulation we know. He has two witnesses. I don't know who they'll be. I've been appointed by that two or three times before, but I've always said, no, I'm not one of them, and I don't think I'll be one of them. I remember way back when Mr. Armstrong talked about Herman Hay and me being his right-hand men, why many people thought we were the two witnesses. Then Ted Armstrong came out of the Navy and was converted, or we thought he was converted. Then they saw Dick and Ted are going to be the two witnesses. Then later, Mr. Waterhouse said loudly, very powerfully, now we know who the two witnesses are. Because Mr. Armstrong and Ted were the ones doing the witnessing on the telecast. They had to be the two witnesses, right? No, they're dead. We don't know who the two witnesses are. We've had two or three men. I shouldn't name them here, but some of you know who they are. My former students, unfortunately, I've taught thousands, over 2,000 students through Ambassador College. Some of them get to appoint themselves and give themselves all kinds of titles. Two different ones have said they're going to be one of the two witnesses. No, they're not. They're not unless they repent themselves. But God will appoint his own two witnesses. He's going to have two men who are going to do great miracles in spite of the fact that the beast and the false prophet are totally in charge. And they're going to have power over the waters to turn them to blood in verse 6 and to strike the earth with all plagues. These two witnesses have great power and they're going to finally be killed and their dead bodies lie in the street of that great city currently called Sodom, the city of Jerusalem. Their bodies will lie there. They'll be God allowed them to be killed and then suddenly they'll be raised from the dead and be and rise up and will scare the fire out of people when God raises them from the dead right then. And verse 13, and that same hour, Revelation 11, verse 15, right after the two witnesses are resurrected, in that same hour, there was a great earthquake, not a tiny earthquake, a massive earthquake. And a tenth of the city fell in the earthquake. Seven thousand men were killed. The rest were afraid. And the second woe is passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And then you find the seventh angel sounding. And when the seventh angel sounded, some other tremendous things are going to happen. But right as the seventh angel sounds and the seven last plagues begin to be poured out, Christ comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the seven last plagues are poured out in his presence. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders fell down and again worshiped God. You see, reading all this, you can say, boy, God is mean. If people picture these terrible things happening. No, he's not mean. He has to be strong. He has to rule the world with a rod of iron to make people wake up. So the poor, these angelic beings, the 24 elders, fell down on their faces and worship God. 
And brethren, as these days begin to come on us, I hope you will begin to worship God. I mean to have an attitude of worship and adoration, crying out to God, saying, God, please help me, teach me, train me, fashion and mold me. Help me really do what you want. Help me to forsake my way. Help me repent of all my stubbornness, my rottenness, my lust, my vanity, my self-will. Help me get over all of this narcissism. Think of self, the self-gratification, how important I am. No, we're not important. We're a bunch of worms compared to God. Try to realize that and surrender to God and mean it. These great powerful angels, these super archangels, the four, the elders cried out, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come, because you've taken your great power and reigned. Thank you for this. They can see it works for good. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Yes, he is going to destroy these human beings who kill each other, break up marriages, tear people apart by misleading each other about the very nature of their being male or female and every other rotten thing they can come up with. Drug dealers, people in drugs who pervert their minds. God will say, enough. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of the covenant was seen. And what's in that ark even now? What's in the mind of God? The ark of God was seen in, in the heaven. And what's in the ark of God, most of you know, is the two tablets, the law, the Ten Commandments. They're there, and that's going to be seen. There were lightnings and noises, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. So that brings us up to the time that God then talks about, of course, the time of the great final battle when Satan will try to rise up and fight God one more time and he's cast back down to the earth and God comes down or Satan comes down with great wrath and God's people are going to be taken to a place of safety. Those who cry out to God, those who are humble, those who are Philadelphian in their attitude. So these are the things just ahead of us, brethren, horrible things, massive things that are coming on the earth. So I hope we can understand that and realize how these things are going to shake this earth and it has never, never, ever been shaken before. Now let's turn, if you hear that right at this point, as Christ comes back, there are some very good things going to happen. And notice back in Isaiah 26, if you would, Isaiah chapter 26, and we begin to see some very, very wonderful things begin to happen as Christ comes back down to earth. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 26, and I'm going to begin reading here in Isaiah 26. He tells his people in verse 20, Isaiah 26, verse 20, Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you. So God is telling his faithful people, to be willing to hide for a while. This terrible time of tribulation, of persecution is coming. Hide yourself, as it were, for a moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the eternal comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. 
the earth will also disclose her blood and will be no more cover her slain. In that day, Isaiah 27, verse 1, the ever-living one with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan. He'll punish him and slay the reptile in the sea. Then he tells us to sing because God's people then are going to be blessed and God will cause Israel to blossom and bud and fill the whole face of the world with fruit. In verse 6 it is. Then it says in verse 12, Revelation, Isaiah 27, I mean, verse 12, and it will come to pass in that day when finally the Satan is cast down and God's people begin to be blessed, it shall come to pass in that day that the eternal will thresh from the channel of river to the rib brook of Egypt. He's going to punish, shake the nations even all the way from the Euphrates to the, to the Nile. And you will be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. Some of our relatives will be there. If some of you are walking with Satan rather than God, you may be there of those who are finally really repentant. We're sorry, you're going to say. We didn't listen when we could have. But finally, you'll be gathered if you repent. And so it shall be in that day, verse 13, that the great trumpet, that great final seventh trumpet will sound, and they will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria, in the land of modern Germany up in northern Europe, and those who are outcasts in the land of Egypt, and they shall worship the Lord, the King of hosts, in the holy mountain of Jerusalem. They're going to come. God's going to bring them back finally at that point in time. And there's going to be a tremendous regathering of Israel, much greater than the first exodus, as you know, as described in Jeremiah 16 and quite a number of times. Then you turn to First Thessalonians in the New Testament. First Thessalonians in the New Testament tells the spiritual thing that affects us all. First Thessalonians, brethren, and let's turn to the first book of Thessalonians and, and chapter 4, verse 13. First Thessalonians 4, Paul writes to the Christians, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. We've had some wonderful people in our church right here including Mrs. Bonjour, including my wife, Cheryl, including many other wonderful people that better not name, I'll forget it, Mr. Apart in the course, many others in the last few years have died. They've left us, and we're very sorry. What's going to happen? We're not to sorrow as others. We have hope. We're looking forward, not just to punishment, but if we're serving God, we have a wonderful thing to look forward to at that last trump because at that seventh trump these people are going to rise from the dead it's going to shake them right out of their graves for if we believe that jesus died and rose again even so god will bring with him those who sleep from god's point of view they're just asleep in jesus but this we say to you by the word of the lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the lord will by no means precede those who are asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet. Yes, we heard trumpets here from Mr. Dylan King. A massive angelic trumpet's going to sound around the earth. Mr. and Mrs. Armstrong may rise. 
over there in Mountain View Cemetery. My first March wife, Margie, I think will be there with them, will rise. Many other faithful men and I have known of God out there, dozens and scores of people are going to rise. Many thousands of people are going to rise from the cemeteries all over this earth. They'll rise to meet Christ in the air. People we've known, we've loved in God's church. So they're going to rise from the dead. Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. So the people are going to rise from the dead, and that those who are still alive will be up with them, meeting Christ in the air, and then coming back down to this earth with him. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But turning the times and the seasons, we don't always know the exact time, but we, we should know. God does indicate it's not like it might be tonight or a thousand years from tonight, as Billy Graham says. We're to know much more cl closely concerning the times and seasons. You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know best perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night when people are not expecting it. For when they say the world's going to say peace and safety, how can they say that? Well, they get used to these various things. They take it for granted. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor reigns upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief, but you are sons of light. Let us be sons of light. Let us cry out to God and walk with God, talk with God, have our hand in God's hand all day long in every way that we can with regular, constant Bible study meditating on God's Word where God becomes real to you and fervent prayer to God on your knees and occasional fasting and humbling yourself and crying out to God. When they say peace and safety, this is going to come. But you're not to be in darkness. You are sons of light. Therefore, let us not sleep, verse 6, as others do, but let us watch, watch, brethren, watch these world events and be alert. So you can know about when it's going to be and be stirred by these events. God wants us to be stirred by these events and we're to have that attitude. So God tells us to do this. And now, brethren, let's turn, if you would, to verse, uh, to 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians here. 1 Corinthians 15. God says through Paul, describes the time that there's going to be a resurrection from the dead and all men are going to come up. But he says, concluding this chapter, Revelation, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we're like Adam, we're made out of, we're made out of dust, we're human, we're weak. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We're going to be fully like God. We're going to be fully like Christ. God has made us to be full members of his kingdom, of his family, full sons of God forever. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. No, we do not inherit this oven by ourselves. Behold, I show you a mystery 
we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So we're going to have to be totally changed from flesh to spirit, from human to divine, in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, when? At the time this day pictures right now. Be thinking about it this day. The last trumpet, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Finally, we will not be subject to sin and we will not be subject to rot and decay and dying anymore. We'll be made spirit, full sons of God to live forever. Our face will shine like the sun. We can know God. We can finally understand as we have been understood, as Paul says. We will have that tremendous opportunity to look Christ right in the eye, to look God the Father, to talk to them, to walk with them, to be part of their team, part of their family forever, to help make this whole universe a magnificent place. We will be full sons of God at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incredible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on incorrupt mortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then will be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. When I saw my wife Margie die, I was shaken by it, as I told you. For months, I went around just in a daze. When Cheryl died more recently, it hit me. I handled a little bit better because I'd had to go through it before. But I felt empty. And when I sit in our chair next to the fireplace, sometimes at night, if I'm alone, I'll picture how she was there on that special cot they brought her. And the hospice people came, waiting to die. I don't like to be there in that place alone with the fireplace on. That's where she died. She will be alive. All our loved ones will be alive. So that last trumpet will sound and we will be made immortal. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. The thing that gives sin power is the law. God's law tells us what to do and what not to do. And we are held accountable for that. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ because Christ has enabled us to overcome sin, to keep God's law. Again, we've got to always remember, please, brethren, not just because I said it, please remember our favorite scripture. I hope it will become one of yours. Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. The old self has to die. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm not physically dead. Yet not I not our will anymore but Christ lives in me that's the key Paul said Christ lives in me and the life which I live in the flesh I live in the faith of not in but faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Christ gave himself for you he gave himself for me he will live his life in you he will help you overcome yourself in the world he will help you overcome Satan the devil so that when that trumpet sounds you will be there. You will be there. You want to understand that. So he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, never give up, never give up. You have a magnificent calling. If you can understand and grasp it, I've been able to serve God to a limited degree imperfectly, but I've tried for 67 years. 
because I came to Ambassador College 67 years ago last month and I tried to serve God. And I've seen how God is real. I've seen how all the big picture prophecies have worked out. I see how God has healed person after people. I see how God has changed the lives of those who are willing to humble themselves, who seek God. God will bless you. God will guide you. He will make you full sons in his kingdom. Don't ever give up. Be immovable. Always abounding in what? In the work. Be busy doing God's work. Let's get this message out. Let's try to help everyone we possibly can reach with the truth of God, understand it, so that they can have an opportunity at least to be in the first resurrection, the better resurrection. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. We think, well, the whole world's not being converted, so what good is this? There's a lot of good. God will bless us forever and ever and ever if we do that, if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and walk with Him. So let us ourselves be in awe of that great God and His purpose. He's being worked out right in front of our eyes as we see these massive things happening, affecting the nations, affecting hundreds of millions of people. And let us really seek God with our whole heart so we can be there. And when that final trump sounds and Christ comes back and people start to come up out of the graves, Humanly speaking, we who lived in the space age and seen these Titan rockets take off from Florida, we might feel lift off, lift off, lift off. We better be, we're sure for lift off. We better be sure that we're ready for the first resurrection because we have given our lives to God. We have walked with God. We have served Him with all of our hearts. He will never leave us to forsake us. Be there. Be part of that resurrection. Be part of the first resurrection so you can live in God's kingdom and God's family forever and make, make the calling that God has given you a real success, that you have done your part to be in that resurrection when the first trumpet sounds, the seventh trumpet sounds, and there will be liftoff. Be sure you do your part. Be sure that you are ready.